0: 5, we are doing a Bible study in the book of Acts. And when I say we're doing a Bible study, we are not staying in the shallow end. We're taking it a little deep. Are you okay with that? We are going to dig into the Bible today. So, if you're kind of new to the Bible, new to all of this, digging in and you get a little lost, that's okay. Write down your questions and we can talk about that another time. That's good. It's good to have questions. We're learning I'm learning, I'm loving digging into the book of Acts. I've done that several times in my life, but I'm learning new things that I've never seen before. And that's what's so cool about the Bible, that we're always learning new things every time we look in it. Uh, What we're trying to do is really experience this because we believe that Acts is still continuing on today, that God is continuing to work through his people. And when you read the book of Acts you do realize that the end is kind of abrupt. It just stops, and we do believe that's a purpose of that, saying, okay, it's just continuing on. There's no ending yet. We're still awaiting the ending of this story to come, and that is so true in our Christian life. So we're living it out today, and we're seeing what happens in the first century church. Last week was a very pivotal study. We looked at Acts chapter 2, the events surrounding the day of Pentecost, the new covenant being given, the Holy Spirit being poured out in a very miraculous way, and Peter preaching the first gospel sermon, the first converts to Christianity, first baptized 3,000 people in this, this new Sinai experience. Remember that? How we looked at the parallels from Moses and the Mount of Sinai to what happened at Pentecost, how God's giving us a lot of opportunities to have great faith that he's the one carrying this whole story that God that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit they are really the main characters that we see in the book of Acts and they're the main characters in our lives today it's not us guys we're not the star of the show you know that God is this is his show and we get to we get to participate in it we get to participate in it so today we're going to again let the story teach us we're going to learn a lot of cool things today but also we want this story to inspire us, to invigorate us, to challenge us. And then finally we want the story to shape us and change us in our lives today. So let's get started. There's a lot to cover today and we'll see how we do on time. I would love to play another video, but I don't know if I have time to do that. So I save it to the end. If I'm very disciplined, we'll show a little video at the end. Uh, So come on, Kevin, get going. Let the story teach us. Acts 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them some attention, gave his attention, expecting to get something from him. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And he went with them into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Here's this great miracle where God is working in a very tangible and powerful way through the apostles. Can you imagine being there? This man was 40 years old. He'd never walked. He'd been lame his entire life. Can you imagine what his legs looked like? If you haven't used your legs for 40 years, the muscles aren't developed. They're emaciated. It's hard to even imagine what all happened. This was so outrageous. It wasn't just somebody who had had a limp. Now they're walking without a crutch. This man never walked. He didn't know how to walk. And in just a few moments, he's going to be jumping for joy throughout the temple courts. Can you imagine that? This was clearly supernatural, clearly miraculous. And everyone was filled with wonder, with amazement. Is this the same guy? What happened? Am I seeing something? But it's to point out this great power. It's to show everyone there that these apostles, these messengers, they have the stamp of approval from Almighty God. Listen to what they have to say. So it gives us a lot of questions here about these miracles. Wouldn't it be pretty cool if we could do all that today? It would be pretty cool if if uh, we can get, you know... Uh, Bill Thompson, Rienzi, and go over to the hospital, and they can start touching people. Have to start what we call cause a pretty big riot here in Wilmington, wouldn't we? It'd be interesting. It uh, it would be the news around, we, we'd make national news. It would be pretty crazy. People might start flocking to Wilmington so these guys could could heal them. And we do see some of those things happening in the first century church. Um do these, same thing, do these things happen today? Maybe that's kind of more the question. Did they stop happening? Well, there is a clear power that Jesus gave to the apostles. These, this was a specific office that Jesus chose 12 people to be with him, to be eyewitnesses, and he gave them specific power to drive out demons and to heal people. So there was a specific power given to them. Now, certainly God has that power. And God can do that, but we do see that during this time, God was working in, in a very specific practical way through these miracles. And here I'm going to skip to Acts chapter five, just to kind of we see another miracle happen here, and this one makes us really uneasy. We have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And this sounds like an Old Testament story, doesn't it? But it's in the New Testament. And here, you know, I don't know if we have time to read all this, but, but you have this, the church is going on and, and a lot of great things are happening and, and, and people are, are being generous. This is right after we hear the story about, about Barnabas uh, who, who sold a field and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's a lot of generosity going on, a lot of sacrifice going on. And here Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they, they sell a piece of property. With his wife full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart and you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you've received for the land? Didn't it belong? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear sees all who heard what had happened. So, so here, and just you can read the story yourself. This, this makes me really uncomfortable, doesn't it, you? Like, what in the world is God doing? And his wife is struck dead right after him. You know, we, I guess, you know, you read this right before you give the offering to make sure everybody is serious about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean... The motivation may not be so uh, pure of heart there. I'm just scared to death. Man, but I, I kind of have a problem with this, just in my human nature. This is pretty harsh, isn't it? And if any of us are honest, we'd say, this is kind of, what is this all about? God just striking people dead because they held back some money? That's, that's pretty ruthless. Well, I mean, why is this in there? Maybe that's the question we need to ask. And, and what we see, and I, I, I um, learned a little bit looking through this too, that, that this kind of thing happens periodically throughout the Bible, usually when something new starts with God's people. Uh, a few examples. In Exodus, Leviticus, in, uh, in the time of the Exodus, in Leviticus chapter 10, we see Nadab and Abihu. Remember those guys? The sons of Aaron, the priest? They do an unauthorized fire uh, for the sacrifice, and then God kills them. Fires consumes them, and they die. And they have to have some other priest. And like, whoa, that's pretty serious. In Joshua seven, remember Achan? Does it remind you a little bit of Achan when they're doing the conquest, and Achan keeps some of the gold and silver and hides it, and the whole. You know, all of Israel is, is punished for that, and they end up having to kill Achan. Um, you remember when, when, when they're moving the ark, when D- King David has just become king? Remember the guy, Uzzah? What happens to him? They're trying to move the ark, and it's falling off of the cart, and he just reaches to, to, to stop the, the ark from falling and touches the ark. Now, you're not supposed to do that, but he was trying to save it, but he touched the ark, so God zaps him dead. And then here we have a similar type of story with Ananias and Sapphira. And so what it seems to me is like anytime God is reestablishing something new, whether it's the exodus, whether it's the conquest, whether it's the new Davidic kingdom, where now we have this new messianic age, the church, that God is making a statement like this is serious. This is something you don't play around with. Because don't we compromise all the time as human beings? And we say, oh, you know, well, I can do it. Th- God loves me. And he, God said, okay, yeah, but this is serious. This covenant is real. And I'm very serious about this covenant, and you should be too. Now, we don't see this kind of thing happening all throughout the New Testament church, you know. But I think God is making a point that we should really have a reverent of the Lord, shouldn't we? So let's let that story just speak for itself. And does it make us uncomfortable? Yes. But I think there's a reason for that. It doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It doesn't even mean these people were condemned. It doesn't mean they were going to hell. <laughs> you know, it doesn't say anything about their judgment, their eternal judgment. It just says that, hey, take this seriously. This is serious business. So I think we should. Amen? The apostles took this very seriously. And what happens when these miraculous things are going on is these regular old ordinary guys in this new movement are starting to challenge the status quo, the leadership in Jerusalem, the leadership at the temple. And there are also some very serious people in Jerusalem, serious Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, these aristocratic uh, Jews, the rich, the powerful, the influential. Uh, they're also loving their power, their prestige. Uh, they liked having all that, and now their authority is going to be challenged. And what you'll see in the story is the Sadducees, the, the, which most of the Pharisees, oh, excuse me, which most of the, uh, the Sanhedrin were these, these Sadducees, these influential, very rich people. They're, they're more challenged about their power than they are open to seeing what's happening, seeing the truth of what's going on. They look totally past this lame person, this miracle, and, and their question is, by what power did you do this? By what authority have you done this? Because their legs have been taken out from them. Their power has been taken out from them. And now the apostles have this. They're persecuted. Acts 4 verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And that's one thing that really got to them. The Sadducees didn't like this idea of of, uh, the resurrection of the dead and this, this afterlife and this new kingdom coming because you know what it did? They had no power in who's going to rule in that kingdom. That it's all going to be God's decision. They didn't like the resurrection of the dead. They didn't like this message. And they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail till the next day. But many who heard the message believed. The number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, the other of the high priest's family. So we already see a new high priest, don't we? Because remember who killed Caiaphas was with the crucifixion? He's already been taken out, and this new guys, the high priest. There was a lot of... There's a lot of the high priest, it was this political power and authority, not unlike government today. Isn't there just a, always this battle of who's in power? And this was going on, this was going on in Jerusalem. Who was in power? Who is the high priest today? Annas was. There were four main powerful families of the time, and he was in one of those. And a lot of the Sanhedrin were former high priests. They had Peter and John brought before them, began to question them, by what power? There it is, by what power or what name did you do? It's all about authority here. They're not even looking at what's happened. They're blind to truth. They can't accept it because it's challenging their way of life and threatening their wealth, threatening their position, and that's all they're looking at. salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. They took note these men had been with Jesus. Since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there's nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. So, persecution. We got to read what he finally uh, said here. Isn't this so cool? They're like, what are we going to do with these men? They asked. everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed notable signs, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So they called them in again, and he commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Can you imagine? I mean, we we really can't imagine what these guys are doing. There's 70 or so of the most rich, influential, and powerful people gathered around them. And now Peter, this unschooled, this fisherman guy, is going to start rebuking them. Can you imagine? Peter knew what they just did to Jesus. He knew that he could be crucified that very day. But he has a boldness. He has a boldness. And that's what will inspire us. There's a courage that we see in the disciples that is absolutely not from within themselves, but it is from the Holy Spirit. They become these superhuman, courageous people. They're very different. When we read the Gospels, we see a very different version of Peter, don't we? The one who runs away, the one with the little servant girl. He runs away and. He, Denies Jesus and calls down curses from heaven and he's the people pleaser. And here we see Peter standing up, not to a servant girl, but to the most influential people on his, in his world. He's got this superhuman courage. This is not Peter. This is the Holy Spirit welled up inside of Peter. Verse 17, the high priest, all his associates who were members, this is chapter 5. Uh, so, so you got to go back and read the story. We don't have time to go through all of this. But, but they they keep preaching and, and, and uh, you know, they end up preach, keep preaching again. They get thrown back in jail. Look what happens. The, the high priest's associates, um, they were members of the party of the Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. So, this is pretty cool. What's this angel of the Lord? Is this just some some guys, just like the, the Clarence and the George Bailey thing? Some guy, you know, showing up with the keys. All right, guys, y'all going go out now, and... Is it some ain't winged Gabriel? A, okay, I don't know what this angel looked like, but it clearly, this is a messenger from God. And the message is, not, okay, you're free. Now go home and hide from these guys. He said, you're free to do what? To keep preaching. I want you to speak. I want you to speak. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. When the high priest and associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full full assembly of elders of Israel. And they sent to the jail for the apostles. When arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. I mean, can you imagine that? Where did they go? Where did they go? I mean, even if you're the Sanhedrin, you got to start realizing, like, okay, we got a healed guy here. We got people just disappearing out of the jail. I mean, what is God doing? If you had any humility at all, you might stop for a minute and look at the facts about what's going on. But they didn't. They were they were very hard hearted. Uh, on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and his chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. I think they were worried they're going to get killed for let, letting people go. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing at the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and they brought them to the apostles, brought uh, the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared the people would stone them. The apostles were brought uh, brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin and be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So, man, does this fire you up? Does this inspire you? These guys are so radical. They're putting their lives on the line for Jesus Christ. They have this super-powered Holy Spirit courage. Don't you want a little bit of that? Don't you want a little bit of that? Where does that come from? I think about other stories in the Bible. My favorite is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This reminds me of that. When they're threatened, we're going to throw you into the furnace you're going to be ten times hotter than ever before if you don't bow down and worship this image of Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, fine, you know, you throw us in the furnace if you want to. We're not bowing down. There's this confidence. There's difference in the courage if you're just like, you know, I'm going to face my fears. These guys are just like, they're cool. They're like, fine. If we die, we die. Whatever. God is Because they are confident that God is with them. And Peter felt that. He said, I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you do with me. I don't care if I die. Yeah, it might hurt a little bit, but I'm convinced that this is what God wants me to do. And I'm good with that. So I'm going to be courageous. And who are you to fight against God? That's where this courage comes from. Uh, One of the uh, the second century martyrs was uh, Polycarp. Everybody heard of Polycarp before? This is another really amazing story. Polycarp was bishop, church leader in Smyrna. It's modern-day Izmir, Turkey, right on the coast. And he is probably one of the last living second-generation Christians. And he was a disciple of, of the apostle John. So when he was really young, he was under the teaching of John. John dies. Polycarp is a leader in the church. And he gets persecuted and threatened in the Roman government and to have to denounce Christ. And he comes with trial and they say, Poly- Polycarp's like 86 years old, this boy. He's old. And he says, they said, okay, you need to say, down with the atheists, because the Romans called the Christians atheists. Did you know that? The Romans called the Christians atheists. Why? Because they did not bow down to the Roman gods. They didn't worship at the temples. So they call them their godless, their atheists. So Polycarp, so he, he turns to the Roman crowd, points to him, and he goes, down with the atheists. And then they say, oh, okay, we see what you're doing. And he says, no, you have to denounce Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not going to. And look, look, look this, this is actually uh, from a description of what happened. This is the second century writing about Polycarp's uh, death, his martyrdom. And so this has been put into English here. And here, let's read this. This will really inspire us. And it's pretty horrible, but really cool. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. I guess this is all written down here, isn't it? Um, Have some respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the atheists. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitude in the stadium. And gesturing towards them, he said, down with the atheists. Swear, urged the proconsul, reproach Christ and I'll set you free. Eighty-six years I have served him, Polycarp declared, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? I have wild animals here, said the proconsul. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Call them, Polycarp replied. It's unthinkable for me to repent from what is good and turn to what is evil. I'll be glad to go through uh, glad, though, to be changed from evil to righteousness, if you despise the animals, I'll have you burned. That's from the Pope Council. You threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour, and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of fire, of the coming judgment and eternal punishment, reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. Here's Paul, like 86 years old. Bring it on, man. Bring it on. Why are you waiting? Bring on the animals. Bring on the fire. I mean, who in their right mind would say that? There's this Holy Spirit courage. Bring it on. Bring it on. Because it's faith, and he knows what awaits him in glory. Oh, but check this out. It was, done all, it was all done in the time it takes to tell. The crowds collected wood and bundles of sticks from the shops and the public baths. The Jews, as usual, Uh, were keen to help. um, When the pile was ready, Polycarp took off his outer clothes, undid his belt, and tried to take off his sandals, something he was not used to as the faithful always raced to do it for him, each wanting to be the one to touch his skin. This is how good his life was. But when they went to fix him with nails to the post, he, he said, leave me as I am. For he that gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle without the help of your nails. So the God's going to give me the power to stand in this fire. You don't have to nail me to, the, to this. And I'll just kind of tell you the, the story. He, he, he stands there and they light this fire around him. And those that witnessed it, and it's in this, this account, the fire... Doesn't touch him. The fire bellows out like a big sail. And it goes around him and it won't burn him. So he's standing in the middle of this fire all around him, but he's not burning. So they have to go in with a with staff and stab him to die. And everybody's standing, there's this, this miraculous thing that happens that God, all right, here's a, here's a man who stands up for the Lord no matter what, and God sees him through. And we're going to see it next week when we look at Stephen. We're going to see that happen. Man, that inspires me. That inspires me. What does this mean for us? I mean, we can be filled with that today. I don't think that any of us are going to be threatened with going to be fed to animals, or wild animals, or to be burned at the stake because of our faith. It could happen in this world. It does happen in places. It's it's very, very dangerous, But, but... But well, you know what, you and I can still be filled with that same courage. Do you know that? You and I can still have the same Holy Spirit boldness. When we know that we've been commissioned by God, hey, you know what I want you to do? I want you to speak. Um, I I felt this call in college that that God really wanted me. To to help people to know about him, and he wanted me to preach, and he wanted me to to, to speak, and and uh, and I remember we 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 put together a church service we did at Duke University on campus there in the student center, and I was gonna I was gonna preach. We had 150 college students there, uh, about half of them from Duke University. I had members from the football team and the basketball team and all these guys there, and and you know, you know. I am a people pleaser by nature. I want people to be cool with and this, that. I don't want to get up. I've been put up in front of people a lot from sports and and, and drama, but I can get really anxious. So for me to say, I want to get up and preach a sermon to all these people here is really scary to me. You know why I wanted to do it? Because I believe God wanted me to do it. And when I feel compelled that this is what God wants and it's not about me, I know that God's going to see me through. And it filled me with courage. The coach, the football team, asked me to speak at Duke Chapel. And and this is very intimidating. You got all the, I mean, in Duke Chapel on a Sunday morning, it's, I mean, it's all the, I mean, it's Duke Chapel. It's very reverent very aristocratic, you know. So here I am. I'm nervous as all get. I'm like, I don't want to do that. They luckily, didn't make me wear a robe or something. I felt really uneasy. But you know what? I felt really anxious. But then I was like, you know what? God wants me to do this. God wants me to preach his word. God wants me. To, you know what? And I rocked it. Not because I mean, if it was me, I probably would have had a panic attack and fallen over, all right? Because that's Kevin. But it's like, hey, even if that, God wants me to do this, so it filled me with, with, with courage. You know what I also did? Even with all the fear I had, I, I auditioned to do the commencement address at Duke University for graduation. Thousands of people in the stadium. And I, I look back at that, I'm like, that was crazy. Why did I do that? And I had this really good speech, and, and um, maybe God knew that was a little bit too much for me to handle that. I don't know. But I, I wasn't selected. But I auditioned. Because not because I wanted to promote me, because I I think God wants me to say something. That's why I do this. That's why we do all that we do. You know, even this past week, I, I I worked my last shift at Cape Fear Seafood. I was as a server on Thursday night. It was a really cool and emotional. I was emotional about it. It's like my little Cape Fear Seafood family down there. I love those guys. I love them and I'm praying that Gods God's been teaching me so much through that. It's been a great experience i've I've been enriched so much by by the the people there uh, but also I want to I believe God's had me there to 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 speak to people and help people to know him. I do believe that. and, and uh, but even then I mean I'm like we're having a good time and there's this kind of moment of courage where, where you're just kind of nice to people thank you, it's great. And I, there was one guy, a good friend of mine I'm like, you know what I want to go, I want to have the courage to go a little deeper. And, I, and you kind of have that uncomfortable moment. Am I gonna do that? It's like, yeah, I am, because I believe God wants me to. And I was like, hey, you know you gotta to come to church with me. And it's like, well, I work every Sunday, I can't do it. And I could leave, I could have left it right there. And we could do that. The very nice, cordial, oh, okay, well, sometime. I was like, no, but God wants me to say something. So I said, I went another step. I said, All right, well, I guess I'm going to have to bring the church to you. And he goes, I say, we we got to get together. We got to open up the Bible and look at the scriptures together. And I didn't know what he was going to say. I kind of put on, you know, I didn't, I could have left our friendship just nice and put a little bow on it. We had a great time together. But I had the courage to do that and go there because I believe God wanted me to. And you know what he said? I would love to. I would love to. That's Holy Spirit courage. That's not normally what Kevin would do. That's not what Kevin wants to do. That's not what you want to do. But when you're convinced about Jesus Christ and you're convinced that the angel has said, I want you to speak, you will do it confidently, no matter what the consequences Because it's what God wants. I'm inspired by my brothers and sisters I see in the book of Acts. Let's have that same courage, guys. Don't quench the Holy Spirit filling you with boldness. Let's let the story change us. Sorry, we're not going to have time to watch the video, guys. You can watch the video on your own. Check this out, though. Acts 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify that resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned ...land or houses sold them. They brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite, from Cyprus... ...whom the apostles called Barnabas... ...which means son of encouragement... ...sold a field he owned and brought the money... ...and put it at the apostles' feet. Acts 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them... ...even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless... More and more men and women believed in the Lord and they were added to their number as a result. People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits and all of them were healed. What do we see here in Acts? The church... Becomes a changed people. Now, not only is the Holy Spirit embolden the disciples to speak the word boldly, embolden them, to boldly, okay, courageously, the Holy Spirit changes them as a people, and they're living out the kingdom as Jesus taught them to. They're loving each other. They're taking care of each other. They're outward focused. There's no needy person among them. We see them being a kingdom people. They're changed. And so this is what happens. This is who the church is. To bring healing and help to the hurting world. This is who we are. And did you catch that little... Weird statement about Peter's shadow. Isn't that kind of curious? Doesn't it sound like a magic trick? Verse 15 they brought the sick, they laid them out just that so his shadow may pass by and they'd be healed. Um, I, was, I learned this too. This is in there for a reason. Sound familiar as a prophecy, Isaiah 32, about this kingdom that Jesus brought. A king will reign in righteousness, Isaiah says. A king will reign. And who is the king that's been been anointed? Jesus. And rulers, plural, will rule with justice. So there's others besides Jesus. There's going to be a priesthood of rulers Each one, each one of these rulers, each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Whose shadow was on the people who were healed? Peter's. What does Peter mean? I think that's pretty cool and who is to bring healing? the rulers, the new priesthood what does the Bible teach us we are in Christ you are a holy priesthood that we, that we the church, we are the ones to bring kingdom to the world we are the ones to bring healing and hope and refuge We're the ones to help quench the thirst that God uses us through his Holy Spirit to bring this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And yes, of course, when our king comes back and everything is restored (laughs) completely, what a rejoicing day that'll be. But church, this is who we are. We become a changed people who God uses to minister to the world. Do we see ourselves that way today? Do you see yourself that way today, full of God's spirit? Because that is who we are in Jesus Christ. Finally, Gamaliel. There's so many good things in here. I love this guy, Gamaliel. Great teacher of the law. He was in the line of Hillel, the great rabbi, who Jesus actually kind of sides more with, with Hillel's philosophies and interpretations of law. And even Paul is going to be under the tutelage of Gamaliel, right? So even we think that, that Paul is being groomed to be a great Christian by being tutored by Gamaliel, being being trained by Gamaliel. All this ruckus is going on. Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. He addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thu appeared. Claimed to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and his followers were dispersed, and all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He, too, was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Finally, somebody says it. Let's let God be the judge. This is where the video was going to be. We have no time for it. Jesus has proven it. I was going to show uh, Gamaliel, you know, you might be fighting God. Anyway, um, Kristen knows that one. It's so fun. It's only in the old version, uh, the '87 version. Ah, uh, so fun. But we got we got pickleball coming in here in about about 25 minutes. Okay. Um, oh, I was going to quote here from. Uh, let's 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 read this quote. This is this is from Bill O'Reilly. Okay, so whatever you think about Bill O'Reilly, he wrote a really cool book called "Jesus uh, Killing Jesus," and it tries to make a historical look at it. I know you probably can't read that; it's really small on the screen. But in the postscript, after he looks at a historical look at Jesus and the crucifixion, he says, uh, him and his partner, they learned a tremendous amount while researching and writing the book. One intriguing question and profound statement of fact stands out. First, the question, why did thousands of common people seek out Jesus of Nazareth? Most couldn't hear him preach as the vast crowds that surrounded Jesus were too thick for personal interaction. So why did they come? What was Jesus doing that prompted so many people to set aside their daily labor to be near him? Christians attribute Jesus' popularity to his message of love, hope, and truth, but also his miraculous healings. But even nonbelievers must admit that something extraordinary was happening in Galilee. Second, there is no doubt that Jesus of Nazareth is the most famous human being the world has ever known. But Jesus had no infrastructure. He had no government behind him. He had no corporation. He and his disciples depended upon the charity of others for food and shelter. They had no organization other than a dozen faithful followers. In the history of mankind, no one has achieved worldwide fame with no outside resources whatsoever. Leave the question of Gamaliel. Hey, if this is a work of man, if this is a work of man, we'll find that out pretty soon, like all these other works of men. But if this is a work of God, it'll be made clear. Let's let the evidence be the proof. Let's let history be the proof that Jesus is King. Jesus is the Son of God. So what do we do? Peter says, "Repent, turn again, God, turn to Jesus. Your sins may be wiped out." And that what happens? Times of <sighs> refreshing may come from the Lord. Are you fighting against God? Are you fighting against God? Are we being blind like the Pharisees in our own pride, and our own stubbornness and not seeing the truth of what's right before us? Seeing the evidence of changed lives? Seeing the Holy Spirit work? Seeing the evidence of century after century of century of God continuing to work through his people? The evidence is clear. Let's turn to God. Worship Jesus as King. Let his Holy Spirit empower us lead us to be his people in his kingdom. Amen? Amen.